We are New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. A community church in the city of Chicago, all over the city, for the good of the city. Right now, we are in the midst of our series, The Ten Commandments. Bum, bum, bum. A look at the original commandments and how they align with Christ's law. Wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message. So today is our first day back indoors, and if you don't know, we're going through a series where every Sunday we spend some time talking about one of the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments is something you may have seen on TV at one time in your life. If you're not even familiar with the Bible, you probably know a couple of them, right? We've been doing this for the last few weeks and spent talking about how the first four commandments talk about our relationship with God and what God guided us in that way. And now we're spending the second half talking about our relationship with one another, with other people, which is some of the hardest things for us to deal with. Um, So God didn't create these commandments in order to keep you from having fun. Okay, that's the first thing you have to realize. We hear and we read these commandments in the Bible and we immediately think, man, God is just keeping me from what I really want to do. But the reality is God created you and designed you in such a way that if you were to follow these commands perfectly, you would actually live your best life. Okay? What we talked about last week. Everybody wants to live their best life, right? That's like bestseller books. We got like self-help sections bigger than like any other section in the bookstores now. Um, you, you want to live your best life. Well, what if the guy, the, the, the guy who created you, this, this being, this God who created you, actually designed you to function in such a way? He gave you the freedom to choose not to, but he designed you to function in such a way that when you did, it would be the healthiest, the best, the, the greatest in not only just your life, but in how you related with one another. And a central part of our standing of this is is understanding and starting with the fact that if God created us, if he created us, what is best for us is actually doing what he designed us to do. So God left us this book, this book called the Bible. Now you've heard of it. It's a bestseller. Um, And it's a story of God's rescue of humanity. Okay? God's rescue of humanity. How we chose not to live the way God created us to live. That's how it starts out. We chose not to live that way. And despite that, God continues to come again after us, again, again, and again, trying to redeem that relationship. That's the story of the Bible. And it, it, the, the ending is this, where Jesus comes and lives that perfect life, where he follows the commandments perfectly and lives it in our place. And when we believe in him, his life applies to us. That's the crazy part of this story. It's the powerful part, the beautiful part. It's what gives us our our hope, our power, our motivation to be able to even do any of this. It's only after we believe in Jesus that we can receive the power to even obey a single one of these commands. Right? Like, you try and try, I'm sure you will not be able to, okay? And if you thought you did, don't worry. You're going to get hung up today, all right? It's only after we believe that we can find the power to forgive that person. 
right? We couldn't before, but with Jesus, we can. It's only after we ha have Jesus in our lives that we can actually find freedom from that addiction, right? It's only after Jesus comes into our lives that we can actually love the church <laughs> because that's also really hard for a lot of us, right? So one of the most confusing things for a Christian is to read all of these Old Testament laws. Old Testament's the first half of the Bible. And it's really confusing for us when we read these Old Testament commands. The stories are cool. We like them, right? We like David and Goliath. Wow, that's a cool story. But then we read all these commands that are so confusing, and we don't really follow all of them. Why are they there? If you ever started to read the first five books of the Bible, you may have gotten bogged down and kind of concerned with some of these commands. Like, uh, am I actually following God's rules for me? Like, this is this this book is supposed to be God's words and it's supposed to tell me how to live, but some of these don't make sense. So I want to tell you that the beginning part of the Bible, this Old Testament, is all about God's redemptive plan for a specific people. The Jewish people. In the Old Testament, it's God rescuing these people from first slavery, 400 years, rescued them out, and then started to build a brand new kingdom, the Jewish kingdom, the Israel, Israeli kingdom, right? And so along with the story of him rescuing him, you see this huge book of laws. Laws for them to follow. There's actually 613 laws. Imagine that series. Right? The 613 commandments, right? We're going to be going through this for like 10 years, right? That, that is how many commandments there are in the Bible for the Jewish people. 613. If you read the first five, first five books of the Bible, you will find all of them. Okay? 613 commands. And as Christians, this gets confusing because we don't follow all 613. Right? Like, we have a hard time with the 10. Like, Man, the Ten Commandments, right? What about all these other ones that are so confusing? It's been a source of division within the church. Some people still believe strongly that we should follow all of them. Some people believe that we should follow them a little differently. Some people believe none of them apply. And then you've got a thousand others that like pick and choose. I don't know what like they use. It's really random. Like some literally like you get a conversation with some people. And it's like, well, this one doesn't apply, but this one does why? Like, what is your system? Well, this one just doesn't make sense. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> You're, like, able to discern this. Um, you know, like, look at some of these. Leviticus 19 this is one of the 613 commands. It says, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Okay? I just got some socks, like, yesterday, and it said, like, 80% polyester, 20 or 15% something else, and 5% something. I should not be wearing those socks, right? Like, we should destroy them uh, in your shirt. I mean, good luck finding a, a piece of clothing that's made from one type of material. Did you know that was in the Bible? <laughs> You're like, why are you telling me this? Uh, how about this one, Leviticus 19, uh, same verse, but a little bit further. It says, do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. So if you have a garden in your backyard, only grow one, okay? Tomatoes, uh, corn, cucumbers, whatever. Do not do more than one in the same field, or else you are in sin, okay? Um, Leviticus 3.17 says this. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Wherever you live, you must not eat any fat or any blood. Ever gone to a restaurant and like, I'll do medium rare on a steak. 
You know, ever had a little blood in the steak? Well, sorry, not allowed, okay? Keep going, it says, this one was interesting. If you come across a bird's nest beside the road, either in a tree or on the ground, and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with the young, okay? You may take the young, but be sure to let the mother go, so they may go well with you and you may have a long life, okay? So if you come across this situation, you know what to do now, okay? Uh, or this one, when you build a house, make a parapet around your roof, so you now they bring guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. So if you don't have a fence around the top of your roof, you need to go build one afterwards, okay? Call up some people, uh, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corner of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You ever been over in Westridge and you've seen people with little strings hanging down, right? That's why this verse right here, okay? They still wear the tassels coming down off of their clothing. Why do we not do that? I don't know, right? Like, we pick and choose. Some of these were like, well, that's just ridiculous. Why would God still want us to do that? Well, what, is there a system? Is there something that helps us to discern what we should still follow or not? Should we follow all of it? That's just a few of them. I mean, let alone the sacrifices that we're supposed to make each year, if you look through the laws. We're supposed to sacrifice a lamb each year, a grain offering, a perfume offering. Uh, if you have a new baby, I think you'll see all the infants, right? You're supposed to go to a temple and uh, have two birds that you sacrifice, okay? That is like part of the commands in these, these 613 laws. You can't eat seafood or pork, so that's no bacon, okay? Uh, and don't try to do any work on the Sabbath day, okay? Because the penalty for that is death, all right? Those are a few of the commands that are in the book, in the Bible. You're like, oh, what? It's true. I'm not making this up. How many of you know that those were in there? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, just ignore them, right? We avoid reading this section of the Bible because it's so confusing. Right? The best we do is like Ten Commandments. We're like, yeah, I'll do everyone but the Sabbath one, okay? Keep the out of the Sabbath. No, that, that one, it doesn't make sense. It gets so much more complicated, the fact that we hear a thousand different voices telling a thousand different interpretations, how we should do this, what kind of different rules, and no one follows all these commands. Even the Jewish people, the Orthodox Jewish people you'll see wandering around in our neighborhood, cannot follow all these commands. They don't make the sacrifices each year, these laws that are part of how they find cleansing. They have like a little workaround with it, but they don't follow these laws exactly. They try, right? All of them try, but they cannot even follow these, and they're getting the closest right? So let me help you. Let me give you three categories that help you see the Old Testament laws clearly. Help you find clarity on how to read these and what applies to us. So everybody say with me, ceremonial, civil, and moral. So if you take all 613 commandments, you actually divide them into three categories. And they'll fall into one of these categories. You have ceremonial laws, okay? These laws Go into great depth on how to find forgiveness with God, right? You have the temple, you have to make these certain sacrifices, you have to appear on this certain day. If you do this or this, then you have to do this in order to find forgiveness. And they fall in a category of ceremonial laws. You'll find a lot of them, very specific things. A lot of them are like just literally how to do 
the right ceremony so that you can be forgiven for your sins. A lot of laws are in there. Let me tell you, all these things were temporary. They were temporary ways to be made right with God. If you look at Hebrews 10, verses 10 through 14, I don't know if I have that one in there, I don't think I do. It says, by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. It says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties, these priests that would do these sacrifices. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, talking about Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, uh, just skipping forward, it says, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, we no longer need to follow all these ceremonial laws. We no longer need to follow all these laws that help us get forgiveness from God because Jesus has fulfilled them all. Jesus has fulfilled them all. Right? He has become our sacrifice that makes us right with God. So when you read in the Bible, you see all these ceremonial laws, and you're wondering, like, should I do that? Like... Go find a lamb, cut it up, burn it on an altar. No, you don't have to do that anymore because Jesus paid the whole price. And it's through believing in him that we actually find complete forgiveness for our sins. Second category, civil. It's a word that just means like the laws that apply to a country, right? Like to help you have like for the whole country to be civil, I guess, is like the simplest way to explain it, right? It's like the regulations, you know, like, um, you know, um, traffic speed limits, you have um, different types of laws of like, okay, if you're under 18 or 16, you have to go to school. Different laws that help make a kingdom on earth a better place, called civil laws, right? Basic laws for maintaining order, and these laws, were specifically for the kingdom of Israel in that specific time, right? It's not even nowadays, like Israel doesn't even follow these laws anymore. Like Israel is a pretty secular place as far as like the whole country now. Um, I've been there three times, so I've seen it. <laughs> you, can, you can talk about it later if you're like, what? I know a lot about Israel right now, but in the old days, like what, 4,000 years ago, uh, this, these laws apply to a kingdom that is where Israel is now, and it was supposed to help them have some sort of order and laws to help them interact with one another. Jesus, or God rescued these people, and he helped them start again, and he was building a new nation where they were supposed to be safe and follow God. They were intended to be a light outwards to the other nations, but that really never happened. Uh, and the Bible records the failure again and again of these people. But a ton of these laws, the ones we talked about, are specific to the Jewish people in this time. It's important. The Jewish people in this time. These laws were not only to create a working government, but to set them apart. So laws like having clothing that's made from only one material, right? Don't know what the context was for that law, but if someone were to read our law books nowadays, I think it would be kind of confusing too, right? People like can like, you know, 
different rabbis and stuff would come up with like, oh, this is what it means. Uh, okay. Uh, they had different things to set them apart. Don't eat seafood. Don't eat certain foods. They were supposed to set them apart as a different type of people. These were civil laws. All these laws had a specific purpose in mind, the Jewish people during the Old Testament period. And the New Testament records two specific times where God says that these type of laws no longer apply to us as Christians. Just to like clarify so that we don't get stuck on the same thing. You can, you can read it for yourself. Just write down Acts 10 and Acts 15 if you're like really wondering. Read Acts 10, Acts 15, Acts 10. Peter has a vision from God that declares everything is clean, right? Like reopen their minds. And then Acts 15, the Jerusalem council writes to new Christians telling them, okay, no, 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 no. You don't have to follow all these laws any longer, right? These were civil laws for the Jewish people. Final category is the moral laws. It has everything to do with how we treat God and how we treat one another. Morals is like the right and wrong way to treat each other. That's literally what it's all about. This is the only category that still applies to us today. Okay? And actually, it's the only category that you see reaffirmed throughout the whole New Testament. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. So you following me so far? I know that was a lot. That was like seminary level Bible lesson, okay? But it will help you so much if you read these Old Testament laws and it'll help us so much today with this commandment that we're going to look at. So you have the ceremonial laws, which is all about getting holy before God, which we can only find in Christ, right? There's the civil laws that apply to the Old Testament Israeli people. And then there's the moral laws that describe the way we are created to interact with one another and with God. Helpful tools that can help us read the Old Testament. So, I know it's a lot. We're going to continue on our Ten Commandments series now. That was just like the pre-intro. Don't worry, I'm not going to keep me here forever. Uh, the exception, like if you look at all the commandments on the Ten Commandments, they're all moral commandments, excepting the Sabbath day. That's the only commandment there that's not really a moral commandment. Uh... I really don't believe that it's a sin if you don't practice the Sabbath. Um, we can talk more about it or go back and listen to Inyas's sermon from a couple weeks ago. I believe it's more of a blessing, like a good way to, to, to live. It was actually Jesus or God himself when he created the world, took a day off, the seventh day. And that's what it says, blessed it and made it holy. I think it's more than just a command that was given to the Jewish people. It goes far beyond that. But if you want more on that, that's a different command we're going to talk about today. But the rest of them are all moral commands moral commands. And they're affirmed again and again in the New Testament. If you just read any of the New Testament, you'll see again and again all these moral commands. Paul's telling the church, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's all morals, right? Don't kill someone. Don't uh, don't uh, steal from your neighbor. Don't lie to someone. Again and again, they're affirmed over and over in the New Testament. So look with me at today's commandment. Exodus chapter 20 verse 13. It's very simple. You shall not murder. You shall not murder. Exodus 20, verse 13. I know it's very strange for Father's Day. <laughs> it's like, I remember when we were like talking about like this, we're like, well, we're just going to go for it. <laughs> okay, so th this has nothing, but maybe this specifically applies to you as a father today, but please, uh, it does apply to all of us, okay? 
especially if you have kids, I'm sure this might cross your mind sometimes, but it's pretty simple. This doesn't add up a lot of fluff around it. Some of the like commands have a little extra stuff to like help you understand it. This one doesn't, it just gives it to us straight. The whole murmuring thing, don't do it, okay? That's as simple as it gets. These last ones get really simple. They're like, just, just take it at face value. So let's spend the rest of the time asking some questions of this commandment, because I feel like on the surface, you probably think this is an easy one. I'm not going to go kill anyone, so thank God I got an easy commandment for once, okay? Something I can obey and follow. Maybe, okay? Maybe. Stick with me here. Here's the first question I want to ask. Why is murder wrong? Why is murder wrong? I never thought about that before. Just don't do it. Really mean, right? May seem obvious to some of us. Honestly, this commandment I feel like is the one that a lot of us use to justify all the other bad behavior we do. We're like, at least I didn't kill someone, okay? Like, you know, I broke in, stole all their stuff, took it away, and like ruined their lives, but I didn't kill them, okay? I didn't kill someone like that person. That person's a really bad person if they kill someone. That's how we view this commandment. It's like the worst. I'm not as bad as I could be. But why? I mean, I think there's some permanency to it, obviously. It's kind of hard to undo. You know, you can always pay back what you stole. A little bit harder to undo, bring someone from the dead. Uh, but look with me at Genesis 1, verse 27, because I think there's a deeper reason that we can find here. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. This is from the beginning of the Bible, the story of God creating humanity. And what do we see? God creating everyone in his image. His image. Every single person on earth ever has, has had the image of God stamped on them. They are made in the image of God. We talked about this in our earlier commandments because it has so much to do with why there's value in humanity. Why God continually works to rescue and redeem us. Why we're different than all the other things that are created, and animals and plants and all these things. What is it that's different? We bear God's image. I bear God's image. You bear God's image. And only humans bear God's image. So important. Foundational. Look at the person next to you and say, you bear God's image. <laughs> Some of you are like, nope, not telling <laughs> You had a fight this morning. You're like, no. Nope. Uh, this, this is so true. If we don't start here, then we won't understand why this command is so important. When we murder a person, that wasn't just some tissue. It wasn't an accident that's sitting there. That was someone created in the image of God. This brings me to my second question. See how fast we're moving? I thought this would be forever. Number two. I only have three questions. So, How do we murder? How do we murder? This may seem like a strange question again. You're like... Pastor, I've seen every CSI episode. I know every single way, okay? 
Like, we have been desensitized a little bit too much, I think, when it comes to murder from the news. Like, we live in an age where we see every murder that happens around the world. That's new. That was only 150 years ago that we started getting news from other places. Okay, it used to be only local news. That's all you get. Now we're getting news from all over the world, finding out about all the murders that are happening. We also watch way too much movies and television where murders happen, like, graphically in front of us, and we're just like, wow, that was cool. You know, like, we've been desensitized so much that it doesn't even phase us anymore. We don't even feel, like, a little bit in our stomach, like, oh, like, it's, like, not supposed to happen, right? Or we play video games and we get so comfortable with just killing people on the video games. It's how we, we've desensitized some of seeing God's image in other people. I don't think it's an accident. I think it's an accident. It's not to say you can't watch movies or read the news or play video games, but maybe think about it. Think about how it affects you. I think it's a lot to be said about how we've desensitized ourselves to murder. But that's not what I mean by this question, how do we murder? I mean, there's different categories. You have intentional murder. It's the most obvious, the one we probably think of when we hear a commandment like this. It's when you plan, right? You plan to kill someone. But did you know, the Bible actually talks a lot about unintentional murder. Usually through negligence. Right? Did you, did you leave that electric wire just hanging down from your ceiling? And you like invite someone over. I mean, that's kind of a problem, right? Did you murder them? Well, kind of, like, unintentionally, maybe. But it's still, in God's eyes, would be seen as you murdering that person through negligence, right? You, that's why that, that, uh, that old command for the, for the Jewish people, where it says, build the fence around your, your roof, right? So you don't accidentally kill someone through negligence. Same kind of ideas apply to us today. Right? What do we do? <laughs> like, you, you sell a car when you know there's like something really wrong with it? Or you give someone something that's like maybe harmful? Like, I got some leftover milk in the fridge. <laughs> Three weeks old. Like, if they drink that, they're dead. Okay? Like, that's that. What, what do we do that unintentionally are we thinking of? I think of even with a pandemic. This was a lot of question that was happening around in circles during the pandemic, especially at the beginning. You remember some people that knew they were sick with the virus were still going out, going to the public places, didn't care about even staying home or quarantining or anything. And they're actually like held in court. Like I think there's still lawsuits going on over it of, hey, you knew that you could potentially kill people by spreading this virus. Unintentionally, we can murder people. How about apathetic murder? This one is more relevant than we think. It has all to do with dehumanizing people. Back to the issue of image of God. We have all kinds of killings happening in our society through dehumanization. There's huge debates in our society and in our churches on whether or not this is okay. Debates about abortion. Debates about capital punishment. Debates about euthanizing people. And I think a lot of those things 
have a lot to do with apathy towards people. We start to dehumanize even an unborn baby, even the worst person in the world, an evil person. We start to dehumanize so that we can take a life. We become comfortable with the type of killing by dehumanizing the person. We try to see the person as not made in the image of God. It's not being worthy of life. Isn't that the debates, especially with abortion? Like, what week does it become a child? Right? We try to get our way around it. That's what happened during World War II with the Nazis. Literally dehumanizing people. It wasn't just the Jewish people. It was the LGBT community. We've got different uh, um, religious little like pockets. African Americans. It's also happened during the era of slavery here in the U.S., you see the dehumanization of African Americans. You can even see it if you look at our U.S. Constitution. Literally, it says three-fifths of a human. That's how we, we got around it. The, the U.S. did. It's continuing to happen today with the way that we view babies in the womb. Start to ask, when is it a human? How much of a human is it? The final category of how we murder people is heart murder. Yes, this is a thing, okay? And I didn't make this up, Jesus did it, okay? Take a look at Jesus' words. He says this, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, that's like an Aramaic word, and like, and you're like, I hate you, kind of thing, okay? So, uh, Raka so, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Like everything that Jesus does, he gets to your heart. You see, we like to come up with methods to compartmentalize all these commands. Most of you sitting here probably thinking, I don't know why we're talking about this commandment. It doesn't really have much to do with me. I agree it's wrong, but I'm not going to go kill someone. Jesus is talking to you right with this verse. He was literally talking to people sitting around him who were thinking the same thing. Did you know Jesus puts murder in the same category as anger and hate? Same category. Jesus does this with all the commands. He's like, oh, you think you're good? You've never committed adultery? Well, you ever lusted? Same thing in God's eyes. You think you're good. You've never stolen anything. But have you ever wished you had something else from someone? You ever coveted something? Well, it's the same thing. It's just as bad. Oh, you think you never murdered. You have all this hate built up in your heart. You're so angry at that person. You can't even think about them without getting angry. Like right now, you're thinking about their name and it's making you like tense. Like... Man, well, that's the same thing in God's eyes. I'm not making this up. And you may, I know you may not like to think of it that way. You don't have to take my word for it. Go home and read Matthew 5 again, the section I just read. Matthew 5, Jesus is like, you, you, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, I tell you, if you even call someone a fool, 
You are in danger of going to hell. That's like the weight of that moral law. You're under the same punishment as the murderer. What? Does that make sense? You're like, no, I like to weight things and put things in different categories. It's not the way that God works. Just to put it in perspective, that's like calling someone stupid. I'm not meaning like the play kind of, you're like, this is stupid. You know, you're like, you're like, no, you're stupid. Like, I really think you're stupid. And when you say that insult in your heart, it's like a small way that you murder the image of God in that person. So I want to close by asking one final question. How do we stop? How do we stop? Just mentioned a lot of things. I think every person in this room can sit under the weight of that command. Right? Of that, of that, of that burden of how we're supposed to be, but how we're not. I want to tell you how to stop. All starts with a word that Jesus said all the time. A word that is kingdom. Kingdom. Everyone say kingdom. kingdom. It's a phrase. The kingdom of God. It's used 162 times in the New Testament. It seems to flow off the lips of Jesus quite often. And because we all get hung up here with the kingdom of earth. What kingdom do you belong to? That's the question. Kingdom here on earth or kingdom with walls and earthly government? You know, it's, it's nothing new. It's actually what's happening back in the Old Testament. The Jewish people were tired of having a kingdom of God. They continually said, give us a kingdom that looks like all the other kingdoms. I want to look the same. I want to have something here on earth that looks like everyone else so I can have some sort of like power in this world. They begged God to give them a kingdom where they could have their own king. It says literally so we can look like the nations around us. How often do we think that way? How often are we like that too? How can I build up my kingdom here? We love God's forgiveness and his love, his grace, but we don't love some of the things he asks us to do. For instance, love our enemies. Do you know what Jesus said that? Love your enemies. Pray for the very people that persecute you. Persecute. You know? Maybe it doesn't mean much to some of you. Some of you probably means a lot. But you pray for those people that try to make your life horrible just because they don't like you. They don't like your faith. Whatever it is. Pray for those people. <laughs> Do you like that? Do you like that, that command? <laughs> That's something that just easily we just accomplish. You know where murder stems from? Anger and hate. Jesus said it in Matthew 5, right there. That's why it's stemming from. That's why he talks about the heart. When someone has done us wrong, when someone has hurt us, 
the anger and hate that builds up. But Jesus, love my enemies? Love those people? Here's the answer to murder. How do we stop? Forgiveness and humility. You know what the answer to anger and hate is? Love. I'm not just talking about, oh, like, mm, love, you know, like, let me tell you, love is far more than a feeling. It is a choice. It is a choice to love someone. Because we all spiral out of control here. That's why this command actually applies to all of us. Did you call me stupid? Well, I'm going to write an angry post on Facebook. Okay, oh, you wrote an angry post on Facebook? Well, I'm going to get you fired from your job. Oh, you got me fired from my job? Well, I'm going to go slash the tires on your car. Oh, you slashed my tire car? I'm going to kill you. That's literally like the escalation claim. Someone does something bad to us, I'm going to do something bad to you. That's how we function. That's the kingdom of earth functioning, by the way. Kingdom of the flesh. The way that we think and we live. You've done something to us, so I'm going to give it right back. And we may not know our Bibles very well, but we like to quote this verse from the Old Testament. Roll it. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. This was a law in Exodus 21, not a chapter later than the do not murder chapter, okay? We like to quote this a lot. Okay, if someone does something to me, God told me to do the same thing back. Okay? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And this has caused no little amount of turmoil within the church. Let me tell you, was that a law? Was that law a ceremonial, civil, or moral law? Civil law was how the Jewish people were to interact with one another under that government at that time. Does not apply to us anymore. What does Jesus say when we do when someone gets hurt? When an enemy wounds you physically, emotionally, or spiritually, you don't believe me it doesn't apply to us? Look, Jesus actually addressed it. Look at this verse. You have heard that it was said. Oh, great. Thank you, Jesus. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. What? If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt hand over your coat as well, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is horrendous. I like the tooth for tooth, eye for eye. I'll go live under the Old Testament Jewish principle, right? No wonder we will like kind of struggle. We don't like Jesus' words. We don't like how he says, no, that doesn't apply to you anymore. Actually, the kingdom of God is a little bit different. It's a little bit different. But Jesus, surely you can't mean like really bad people. What if someone does something really bad? Huh? Like really, really bad. I don't know. It's pretty clear that we're supposed to think from a different kingdom perspective, even in those cases. 
The early church that Jesus started was known for its love in the midst of hate. While they were killing them, they loved their enemies. And if you look throughout history again and again, that is the times that the church has made the biggest impact on the world. You want to meet, read an amazing testimony? I know Brandon, he's not here today, but he always is like giving away books. He's like, you want, you want to read this book? I'll buy it for you, okay? Really powerful book. You can get it for free from Voice of the Martyrs. It's on the, this guy named Richard Wormbrand. He was a Romanian pastor who was tortured for, I think, almost 30 years. By the time he came out, his eyes like wouldn't even work correctly because he was just in darkness for that long. They would do horrifying things. He wouldn't even record it all because he said it's just so horrifying to even record. His wife was also tortured and raped. And they both came out, and one of the first things they said is, we forgive them. We love them. And it changed so many people. That type of love in the midst of some of the worst hate. I think of Martin Luther King Jr. 50 years ago, stood in the face of some of the most racist hatred our country has seen. And again and again, he refused to retaliate violence with violence. Right? Remember, he, 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 he did that passive, passive response. He didn't just hide. He was out there. But he had to literally train his people not to respond back. And I think it really was what helped our country start to see the African-American people as people. So many people that had for so long seen them as less than. It was a breaking point when Martin Luther King Jr. said, I'm going to love people, not hate them. And again, again, he had to correct people. He's like, no, don't hate them. Don't hate them. What are we known today within the church? I mean, I think a lot about just like getting even, right? At least fair, like lawsuits happen just as much in the church as out. Like we have just as much of a, a, a perspective of that people deserve what they get. We even believe in the church that some people deserve to die. Sometimes the areas of the country that are the strongest in the church, they have the most people on death row. Did you know that? Did you know that one in nine people in death row have been proven to be falsely put there? How do we as a church, saved by grace, there but for the grace of God go I, so easy to decide that some people are okay with dying? We as a church believe that when someone dies, they go to heaven or hell, and we're okay with sending some people to hell. Talk about two sides of the political spectrum. Here in the U.S., we either think of killing babies as wrong or killing criminals as wrong. And they fall into two different political parties. Can't believe both are wrong here in the U.S. or you're an outlier. Now, I'm not saying the U.S. can't do what it thinks is right as far as justice, but I'm saying if you claim to be a Christian and part of the kingdom of God, then you have to come out of the kingdom of earth and stop thinking like the kingdom of earth. When you have to, when you have to see even the worst criminal is made in the image of God, you can't dehumanize even them. I truly believe that we as a church today in the U.S. 
would probably execute the Apostle Paul. Because he went around, like ISIS style, killing Christians. He did. He went around killing Christians. It's about pretty comparable to what we would consider a horrible religious jihadist, okay? The Apostle Paul. What, what happened to him? By the grace of God. By the grace of God, there's a church like two blocks from here called the Church of the Apostle of Paul, right? Like, it is by God's grace that even the worst, craziest ISIS fighter can become a Christian. Do we decide to take that person's life? As, as the church, again, not talking politics of an earthly kingdom, but as the heavenly kingdom. What really changes my mind when I think about the idea of forgiveness and humility is when I think of the most horrendous crime that ever happened. Do you know that people killed God? They took God and stripped him naked. Beat him till his skin came off. Drilled holes in him. Shoved thorns that went into his brain. Stuck him on a piece of wood in the middle of 120 degree Middle Eastern heat. I've been there. It's hot. Until he suffocated and bled to death. You want to know what Jesus said? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Luke 23, 24 says, uh, uh, sorry, Matthew 5, 43, 45 says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. And I love when Peter tries to stop the most horrible crime ever from happening. The killing of God. Peter actually says, I'm going to fight back. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I'm going to respond this way. This is what Jesus says. Put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. The worst sin in history, objectively, the worst sin in history, and Jesus forgives them. How about us? I know this command maybe is a little heavier than you were expecting today. It's bringing up different emotions, different thoughts. I want to let you know that the only way we can love and forgive is through Jesus Christ. Amen. It's the only way that a Richard Wormbrand could come out of 30 years of prison and forgive. It's the only way that Martin Luther King Jr. could forgive the very people that were beating him up. And it's the only way that we can love the most horrible of people and even the person that lives with us. The person sitting next to us. The only way that we can change the hatred in our hearts, the murder in our hearts, is through God's grace and love. To be able to give us the ability to forgive, to humble ourselves, to love. So if you want to talk with someone, I'm sure there's specific situations that are coming to your mind. You're like, I cannot 
I cannot. And I've had that conversation many times with people. I cannot forgive this person. I recognize how hard and difficult it is. We'd love to pray for you as a pastoral team here. Um, as we close our service, we're going to sing a song. And during that song, if you'd like to come into the back, I'll be standing in the back. We'd love to pray with any of you that would like, hey, I know God wants me to do this, but it's so hard for me to. Let's pray about it. I believe Jesus can do what you cannot. Let me pray for the end of this service, then we're going to take communion together as we do this right before we do this lesson. Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving us. We have done so many horrible things. We have treated people as less than they deserve, as less than image bearers of the God of the universe. And God, we have treated you poorly, with disdain. We forget about you. We trample on you. And you have forgiven us. And by your grace, you have lifted us. Jesus, help us to love others, to forgive others, to humble ourselves, to break our pride. Help us to find our identity in your kingdom, God. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. You have been listening to New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. If you have been blessed by this message, please let us know. Now go and live a new life.